0: To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss. That's plushcare.com weightloss.
1: Hello and welcome to the Good, the Dad and the Ugly, the fatherhood podcast. I'm Seth, a new dad, and on each episode you'll hear me and my good pal Jamie, Hello. who's also a new dad, as we chat with our special guest each month about everything that comes with modern day fatherhood. Along the way, you'll also get the latest highs and lows and thrills and spills as Jamie and I foray further into these unfamiliar, joyful and often choppy waters. Choppy water, Choppy water, Choppy water, Choppy Hello and welcome to episode eight of The Good, The Dad and The Ugly. I'm Seth and I'm here with Jamie. Hello. Hi, Jay. Hey. How are you doing? All right. Yeah, not bad. Good. Good. I'm obviously going to ask you uh, plenty of questions about uh, your new role as a dad. Yeah. But we'll introduce our, our guest for today first. I think, yeah, good idea. If you remember, in the last episode, it was just me and Jay in the studio for a, a special episode on the birth of uh, Jamie and Nat's daughter, Matilda. Mm. But this time, you'll be happy to know we are back to the usual setup, which is the two of us plus a special guest. And we've got someone super special for you again today, who I'm tremendously excited to introduce.
2: Who who is your daddy and what does he do?
1: Jamie, on a scale of one to 10, how excited are you? Yeah, it's a solid 10. Solid 10. Yeah. I'm going to go 11.
3: Yeah, I don't like it when people do that. Because that's like people going, I'll give it 110%. That's
1: not Uh, actually possible. That's true. But I mean, you know. If it's good enough for Spinal
3: Tap, then I guess, yeah, it's good enough for you. Exactly.
1: All right. I'm going to go ahead and introduce him now. It's a bit of a tall order. I have to say I was intimidated last time when we had um, the multi-talented Matt Willis on. But this month's guest is, I'm going to say, a modern day renaissance man. (laughs) In addition to being a rapper and a songwriter, he is a screenwriter an actor across various genres, TV drama, TV comedy, film, etc. He's also a stand-up comic, and something that's especially relevant for the pod, he's an author of uh, a successful children's book, and of course he's a dad. And we just learned that he's a a copyright for adverts as well. So um, (laughs) a a pretty impressive all-round guy. He is the one and only Ben Bailey-Smith, a.k.a. Doc Brown.
2: I just when you said children's book writer, I just realized I totally forgot to. I meant to bring you guys copies. We've got copies with us. Don't worry. Oh, have you? Well, yeah, for yeah. Real? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, We're bless you, you bless them. you. I was gonna give you freebies. Okay, <laughs> that's great because you know there's no fucking money in children's picture books <laughs> oh, really? unless I that unless, that unless you're Julia Donaldson. Yeah.
3: Oh yeah, I guess so. Yeah. No, I there's heard. nothing. There's
2: not a penny. I got my first check for I Am Bear. Um, I don't know, probably three months after the hardback dropped last year. So probably around this time last year. And, um, to this day, I'm still in the minus of my, <laughs> of my advance. Like I've got about 13, 14 grand until I get into like the positive. It's a bit wow. like this
1: podcast.
3: So that, <laughs> that
2: will surprise a lot of people, I think.
3: Yeah, that is. That's because I, I would have thought that it's quite yeah. a lucrative think yeah, it so re- it's really like not. a niche book. It's really not. It
2: only is if you've got a lot going on around the book. If you look at Julia Donaldson, she's, number one, she's got about 25 books out. of mm-hmm. varying quality. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and also she's got stage plays. She's got toys, big budget cartoon movie versions. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I talk to my sister about it all the time. Mm-hmm. My sister, Zadie Smith, I'm sure everybody knows. Like, she's a s- successful novelist in a lot yeah. of people's eyes. But... Still, like, what do you do around a book? Like, that book could sell reasonably well, yeah. right? But if you've got a great book that you tell me about a great book that you've read, I'm gonna ask you to lend me it. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I might not yeah, go that's... out and buy it. So, you've got to have other well, ideas you think and... with,
1: with children's books. You think it, because, like, people are always people so want kind new, of, they want yeah, the they new want exactly. Mm. So but I'm like that with that...
3: normal books as well. I don't like lending my books to anyone. I just get I get really possessive over my books because I should. like them on my shelf. You
2: should because they'll never come back. Because yeah, you won't remember no who you lent it out to. Yeah, you. exactly.
3: Speaking of like you know your book, do you want to tell us a bit about for people who maybe don't know about the book
2: and yes. what it is? Sure. And like it's called Iron Bear. Yes, and it, it came out this year. Well, the hardback came out first, and then there's a year before the paperback. This is another oh. thing that's just. I mean, this is based on some ancient thing in publishing yeah. where they used to bring out a hardback for schools and libraries because mm. it was hard-wearing. Yeah. And then they'd, just, they'd wait and then they put out this paperback for the shops. And for some reason, we still do that. But it's nuts because the hardback's like eleven ninety nine. You yeah. know, Who wants to spend £12 on a children's picture book? And then the paperback's nearly half that price. But you to wait a year for it to come out. So I don't understand any of that. But anyway, I Am Bear came out February 2016 in hardback. And it's basically like a short picture book for toddlers about a bear who's a prick. That's really <laughs> all it is. You know, me me, and Sav accused my illustrator. We came into the game in a very strange way because authors and illustrators don't come together for picture books. Authors sign deals and publishers place illustrators with oh. an author, established illustrators, right. okay. which makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if Kanye made a trainer, made a sneaker for our American listeners um, who would give a fuck. But yeah. if he does it with Adidas, then people are like, Oh, it's the new Kanye Adidas thing. Cause it's Adidas. Yeah, yeah, of course. Similarly, if I wrote a picture book and tried to draw the pictures myself, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It would be shit no matter how good the text was and people would ignore it. Whereas if I had Quentin Blake and you walked into Waterstones and saw Quentin Blake, you might buy a David Williams book if that's your thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I saw that actually when I went
2: into the shop the other day. And I, what, has he got
1: a Quentin Blake?
2: Like, he's, 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 he's had some Blake illustrations. I think he's, it's Tony Ross now who does his stuff. But Tony Ross is also a fucking legend. Mm. Tony Ross was working when we were babies. Do you know what I mean? So he's had two legends illustrating for him. And and that is literally, it's like the Nike swoosh. Yeah, It's like yeah. the Adidas trifoil, you know on your product so it makes total sense and me and sav would like i mean i was thinking about writing a children's book because i just thought i've read so much shit for my children when they're yeah. little and i know i could do as good as some of these do you know what I mean not saying like oh i'm roll dahl yeah i just thought some of these are horseshit <laughs> there's no two ways about it this is rubbish do
1: you want to name and shame any particular that you think are- you know it's
2: hard to remember because my kids are 11 and 8 now right. and and like I Am Bear is for 2 to 5 year olds really even maybe 1 year olds you Could you could read it to yeah. um, but it's for very little children I just really remember from that era like there was stuff that I was just like this is bollocks you yeah. got, you, this is actually an affront to young children because there's just nothing there and then you go oh, you wrap up some rubbish little moral at the end or oh now it's time to go to bed what? You haven't earned anything. You haven't earned anything from me, like, you know, or I mean the big, big ones are the ones that are just glitter. There's just glitter all over them and pink. Do you know what I mean? I look, you got a daughter, here you go, you fucking idiot. It's some glitter and some <laughs> it's pink. Frozen, the book. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I really resented that. And Sav did too. Did you, um,
1: like, cause obviously the, the um, for people who don't know, the, the book is kind of written in sort of quite a lyrical way. Yeah. Like and word? in the first
2: person it's from Bear's perspective.
1: And, but was that always the intention to sort of draw on your kind of like rap?
2: Yeah, but that wasn't my idea. That was Sav's. Right. I, I wanted to, like, if I could show you I wish I brought some of them with me. If I could show you some of my other children's book ideas, they're so worthy, and they <laughs> like there was one about a, a little mixed race girl who nobody liked because her hair was too curly. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like oh fuck off, man. Yeah. So there's uh, no moral to Iron Bear, basically. Is what you're no, saying? that was all Sav's idea. Sav was like, let's just have him get away with it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you can't really do that. And he was like, no, but look at it. You keep it so sparse that it becomes a conversation about morals between the reader and the child. Mm. And I was like, that's fucking genius. Mm. And that's what happens. Yeah. People tweet me every day, parents, going, ah, oh, it's so great because my my kid always says, you know, ah, oh, it wasn't squirrel that stole the, the donuts, it was bear. Like bear should get punished. Oh. You know, and, and kids are coming up with these things on their own without being told... And in the end, Bear had to go to jail, you know, or like the the books I really hate where it's just like, and after that conversation, Susie was never selfish ever again (laughs) for the rest of her life. (laughs) It's like, what lesson is that for kids? Kids go into the playground the next day and someone's a selfish prick to them again. You know, someone gets away with murder in the playground every day. Teachers don't want to deal with it. So it was really, it, like I say, it mainly came from Sav, just that concept of, well, hold on, you know, bad people exist. People get away with naughty things. yeah. But it's up to you how you live your life. You can watch someone doing a bad thing and they get away with it. It doesn't mean that you go, oh, well, he got away with it, so I'm just going to do this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If, if you've been raised right, you look at him and go, it's quite funny that he got away with it. <laughs> I personally wouldn't do that. And that's how the book's been received. And that, to me, is just unbelievable. I'm so proud of that. But I don't, yeah, like I said, I don't make a penny out of it. In the early stages, Mm. I was going back to my mum's house and going into the attic and pulling out books that I vaguely remembered from when I was a child and testing them on my kids and seeing if they still had weight. And the great books... Are timeless. They really are. I mean, in terms of like absolute minimalism for a very young age. Rosie's walk is fucking unreal. There's not even any words. It's just a chicken walking home. No words, just pictures and it's pure slapstick comedy. It's incredible and it's about it's about Rosie's 40, walk. It's about 40 years old. Oh, okay. And it, it is down. timeless. I mean, if you've got toddlers, they'll love Rosie's walk. They'll laugh and you can tell your own story. There's no words. Mm. I mean, it's, it's special. Um there's another book called Hug which is a lot newer, probably 10 years old, maybe. Uh, I think that's Jez Albrecht. Right. I might be wrong. Someone will be listening going, no, that's not fucking Jez Albrecht. But it's just a little monkey who loses his mum and it's the usual journey. Have you seen my mum? Have you seen my mum? The pattern of children's books, uh, picture books. Does he find his mum? He finds his Uh, (laughs) mum. Spoiler alert. Um, (laughs) But there's only one word in that, which is hug. So everywhere he goes, he just goes, hug, question mark, Okay. And the animals are like, we're not the guys. We'll give you a <laughs> hug, but we're not we're not the guys you want the hug from, you know. It's beautiful, but it's just one word, hug, and yeah. the story's called hug. Here's a nerdy dad story. I was in a national trust yeah, uh, <laughs> ruined castle. I can't remember where it was actually. We we were just stopping off somewhere on a on a bit of a we like to do like big, long family drives. And you know how your kids, they love the shop at the end. They love the fucking shop. Yeah. So you have to go through the shop and then, oh, daddy, can I have this? Kind of-? No, you're going to fucking lo- you're gonna lose it before you even get home. Do you know what I mean? But you got to give you gotta give them like a fiver or whatever, or a couple of quid and, and see what is. That- I'm walking through this shop and there's a table covered in one picture book just stacked up, displayed out, fanned out across the table. Yeah, And I picked it up and I leafed through it and I actually started crying. Now, this will be strange to listeners who don't know me, but to anybody who's got children, they'll know like tears are never that far away. <laughs> like before I had kids, the, I remembered the last time I cried like two times. One was when uh, like at my dad's funeral... And the other one was like when I was like fucking 12 and I like slipped on a curb, gashed my knee quite badly and it yeah. hurt, so I cried. Other than that, I couldn't remember yeah. when I cried. <laughs> and like since I had kids, I cry at all types of shit. <laughs> and you're just uber emotional. So the book was this book called Apple Pigs, which the National Trust had obviously taken over the um, rights to. Yeah. And uh, I just, I'd not seen it since you know, probably 1981 or something. Yeah, yeah. And I just looked at the cover and I was like, I fucking know this. But I was just on my own with it. It was just like, <laughs> I was in the zone. I know, I know this. And I opened it every page I remembered. It was just this girl, she planted some apple seeds from an apple and the apple tree was just barren every year. And it just really depressed her as a little kid. And then she hit like the end of childhood, sort of like 11, 12. And the apple tree just suddenly grows. But the apples do not stop coming. And she just does everything with the apples, including turning them into little apple pigs. Like She moulds apple pigs out of them, which is where the title comes from. But there's so many apples that they feed the whole neighbourhood and people come around. She's got a million ideas for these apples and she's just overwhelmed with happiness. And I leafed through it and I cried like a bitch in a National Trust shop. Yeah. If anyone walked at that moment, I went is that Doc Brown? I would have been <laughs> fucked. Like, that would have been the end of my yeah, career quite right there. Though, right? The National Trust. Yeah, like, that's a safe, that's a that, safe haven for get, me. Yeah. I don't get spotted. <laughs> like, like, I'm running out of safe havens. Second. I've got two Instagrams. I've got, like, my public one. Yeah. I don't put my kids on there. Yeah. And I've got my private one. Which I do put my kids on, yeah. and I glassed and breathed the shit out of that with my <laughs> kid. Hey, like, I'm the coolest dad on here. All right, look at my kids; they're watching Chic. Where are your kids? <laughs> Is that the first? Have you taken to a festival before? Is that the your first? No, no. I always took them to Latitude mm. when they were younger. Um, How old were we talking when they were young? Uh, my youngest, she was a, n- nine months, I think. I mean, okay. Th- okay, the first time she all went right. to Latitudes, it's pretty young. Yeah. It was a ball lake, yeah. Oh. I wouldn't recommend it. Oh, like I, okay. and I never t- I, I purposely never took them to Glastonbury. I took them to the smaller ones. Like I say, started with latitude, worked my way up a bit. How big is I, w- I didn't w- bring them to Glastonbury w- until last year was the first time. They've only been to two Glastonbury's and I've okay. been since ninety five.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Glastonbury's a different ball game though, I think.
2: It's more fun when they're older. Like mm. you know, like my kids have talked about Glastonbury since twenty sixteen, Glastonbury. Do you know what I'm saying? talked about 2017 Glastonbury and wanting to go and you know like they see a whole different Glastonbury and I I have to say I saw a whole different Glastonbury in 2016 because I was sober a lot more of the time Yeah. Yeah, and I was like there's actually a beautiful side to this yeah, festival yeah, yeah. that I've yeah. always been too high to notice. Yeah,
1: are <laughs> <laughs> loads of like kid stuff. So, uh, uh, like, the
2: kids fields out yeah. of this world. I mean, in 2016, it was a washout, right? Yeah. right and yeah. I was there for three days and it was hard work. Just moving around was hard work. Yeah. Watching shows was not enjoyable. Like stomping around in really deep mud, horrible. But the kids field was the nicest ground right. in the whole festival. So you know, I spent a shitload of time in there. Mm,
1: have yeah. you performed at Glastonbury
2: before? I, I always perform. That's why. That's why I go. I oh, wouldn't. Right. I wouldn't pay to get in. All oh, right. Right so. <laughs> like for all my family of four, that's just gonna cost you a grand.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. What were you performing? Were you doing?
2: Uh, always, there? always comedy. Yeah, they they don't. Uh, I'm not trusted to do serious music there. People don't really trust in me to do serious music, which is frustrating because I was a serious musician for well, a, a lot longer than I've been a comic. But there we go. I can't control that.
3: You've just got a new album that well in like earlier this year. Yeah. Stemmer. Tom kind of elaborated a little bit on what Stemmer actually means but what is it? Do you, I mean.
2: Yeah, it was a word I stumbled across in a book that I just really loved. Like I, like it's my thing like reading books and finding words. I immediately look them up. It's the only thing I liked about the Kindle. I'm back to book books now but what I loved about the Kindle was the way you could just press the word and it defined it. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's an amazing little feature so I think I think I was reading um the biography of London by Peter Aykroyd which is just an absolute beast like 1100 pages. Yeah. Oof. Um and I think that's where I read the word. It was it was something historical anyway and the word popped up so as a old school Latin word um that basically means like the genealogy of a family tree.
1: Oh right yeah. Um
2: and it also has a secondary meaning which a lot of words do which is uh, how transcript connects, how words and phrases within a script connect to each other. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, fuck, that's perfect. Because i had been, like, I was about halfway through the album when I found the name. And I'd been writing songs about sins of the father, about parenthood, about, you know, nature or nurture, about whether you can blame your behavior on people in your family before you or whether it's just you. Yeah. But then also, um, you know, I'm, I'm writing... Script, I'm writing verse, so I was just like, it, it couldn't be a more perfect name. Welcome to the real, you can feel it in an eavesdrop. Trying to give my children something to believe in, trying to bring a little sunshine to knees The Wilston, Dollis Hill, Kilburn, I'm on it still. And the roads I left behind, you'll be on my will. Incredibly, you're still the source of my energy. Bodies turn to dust, but the flow will never rest in peace. i got my daughters looking up right next to me, and this is them at the beginning and the end of me.
3: So family seems to be something that's kind of you keep kind of coming back to it in pretty it's much. Huge, huge you yeah. do, right? It's
2: huge, huge for me, yeah. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. And um parenthood, like being a father was something I always wanted to do as well from when I was an actual child, which I think is unusual for boys. Yeah. Someone tweeted something amazing a couple of weeks ago that fucking blew me away. Some girl tweeted, a a young girl as well, she tweeted um that uh the reason that girls mature quicker than boys is because they are forced to be responsible for their actions and nurture from the start. Mm. I mean, she did put it in way better and more aggressive (laughs) terms than that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was in a nutshell, it was brilliant, but it really made me think, fuck, that's so true. You know, most boys just kick around, do dumb shit and everyone goes, Oh, boys will be boys. You know? whereas a lot of people say, no, boys will be held fucking responsible for their actions. I was raised by women and I just always, I'm not trying to call myself like some maternal guy, but I just made a decision early on. I wanted to have kids. So deep down, I always knew that if I met the right girl, I would just hope that she would felt the same. And I was very fortunate in that respect. She felt exactly the same. She was she was desperate to have kids. So we just went for it, even though we were in the modern age standards young. Do you know what I mean?
3: Which was how how old were you? Like mid twenties, you know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: In the old days that would have been considered old, I think. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But in in twenty seventeen, that's quite young. Yeah, <laughs>
3: and so you've had so you have two girls. Yeah. I mean, I heard you say I, I wrote it down actually, I thought it was like you said kids teach a man how to love.
2: Yes, they do.
3: Like Explain, I I thought that was really interesting. There's a lot of
2: levels to it. First off, I would not deny any of my own misogyny or my own suspect gender politics or sexism that I think are are rife amongst just the male population. Mm. But only so far as you choose to challenge them. Do you know what I mean? Like if you choose to challenge them, then you can be whatever you want to be to whoever you want to be it's just a question of how much you can be fucking bothered and most men can't be bothered Mm. whereas if you sire can you say sire if you sire girls (laughs) you're forced to think about it no matter how what kind of dickhead you are you're forced to think about it and the real dickheads go I I don't want to think about it and they just run away which is why you have so many you know single parent situations I was never going to do that. So I had to face my own demons and um work out what it was in me that sort of secretly privately felt that well, I'm a man. So I'm good. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, I had to question that. And um you question you have to question a lot of things. You have to question your pornography use. You have to question like um
3: I guess your language, your use your of Your language, language yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: you know, the, the stuff you... It's, it's like when you get your first gay friend mm. and you're like, oh man, like I grew up saying if something was rubbish, I'd say it was gay. Yeah. yeah. And then it's the first time you go, oh fuck, like actually, that's so that's <laughs> yeah. so dark to yeah. say that. Do you know what I'm saying? And, you know, if these things can force an undereducated mind like myself to learn and uh, realign myself to a point where I'm totally okay with it, then anyone can do it. And it's inexcusable Mm. to not do it. Mm. So now I spot the subtleties of sexism in a way that I've always spotted the subtleties of racism. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying I'm on the same level as women because I could never be. I don't know what it's like to be a woman. All I know is my radar's up for that shit.
1: So you think then you're like probably quite a different person because you've had two girls.
2: I wouldn't say I'm a different person. I'm the same prick I always was. (laughs) But I'm definitely more rounded. Right, yeah. Mm. I'm more rounded. I'm more emotional. I'm more in touch with my feminine side because I I started realizing that every human being does have both sides. Yeah. It's just chance that you got the the chromosomes you got. It's just pure chance. You know, before those chromosomes hit, you could have been either. and, And like every single person's got some sexual fluidity some gender fluidity on an emotional level yeah. I, th- I think yeah. i think that's one thing i've yep. discovered over time i'm not saying i definitely definitely want to suck cocks i'm not <laughs> saying that
1: I'm, for the record
2: I, yeah i'm good but i'm also like i am saying there's a part of me that's like fuck i recognize yeah these elements of me that as a teenage boy, I would have gone, no, no, I don't care. What, what are you talking about? Do you know what I mean? You fight it because you think that's the manly well, we're thing kind of to brought,
1: do. We're brought up to, like by society to kind of feel yeah. like that we have to conform to a certain stereotype. Of course.
2: And and the the concept of being manly itself is like, it's bullshit. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the manly thing to do when uh, I was 18, 19, and people were making their girlfriends pregnant, the manly thing to do in their eyes was to just fuck them off and go off and be a manly man somewhere else. Right, yeah. And maybe get another girl pregnant or at least just keep fucking different girls. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? That was the manly thing to do. Whereas now you would recognize the manly thing to do is be a fucking man and be a father to your kids. Yeah. You know? And I'm not gonna say like, I'm the perfect father. I'm far from it. But I think I'm an interesting father.
3: Would you say you're... you think your kids think you're cool? Because not a lot of people do. We've spoken to quite a lot of people and they
2: don't. No, no, they, they don't think I'm cool. What they think is the trappings of my work can lead to cool shit for them. <laughs> right. There's a crucial difference. Yeah. yeah. So for example, my 11 year old, when I talk to her when her friends are around, <laughs> it's like how we used to react when like the community police officer came up to us. When we was in, a, stood around like having a cypher when we were sixteen. I am from the nerd squad. Hey kids, I'm the new community police officer. Listen, I know a lot of the other police are on your back. Uh, my name's Martin. I'm here. You know, I, I used to listen. I used to listen to a bit of rap. I'm not. Come on, I like a bit of rap as well, as much as the next man, yeah? Um, So, you know, just saying I'm here. And we'd all be just looking at our fucking feet, you know? It's kind of like that with with my eldest. So we got a cool relationship, but when she's with her girlfriends, nah, man. Like, I think her girlfriends kind of think I'm a goof, and they quite like, like me goofing around. But yeah, I can feel the beginnings. Like, in a year and a half two years my eldest be a teenager and i I can feel the beginnings of it happening now where it's kind of a bit oh i'm not getting involved by the way in the secondary school process this is an interesting conversation point actually because my eldest is going to secondary school in september right and i'm not getting involved i was deeply involved in helping her decide what school she's going to but in the early stages when she starts, I'm not going to be around at all. Why is that? I'll be here physically for mm. her when she comes home from school because I noticed something fucked up. I changed her school about three years ago. And at that time, and still today, I was and am the creator and former star of one of the most successful CBBC shows right. of all time. So, yep. Um the four o'clock club mm. and I can't fuck around. I can't be near schools, even secondary schools because kids yeah, grew up probably. on my shit. And <laughs> one thing we noticed that was quite dark when, when she changed primary schools f- a couple years ago, she came to me and she said, I don't know if I like this girl or not. Cause I said, ah, oh, this girl seems really friendly. You could be friends with her. And she like, I don't know if I like her or not. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, all she does is ask me about you. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh God, that's fucked up." Yeah, and it's because she'd seen me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she wanted to be friends with her okay. because of me, and my daughter's savvy enough to bat that off, and that they are not friends. She's yeah. got her own group of friends who are real friends now, and they're not impressed by me. Like I say, they think I'm a goof, but I don't want to risk that again. Yeah, 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 yeah. In year seven, mm. it's a bad starting point. That's I think funny for her
1: because I, I when I was a kid, and I think back to shows that i watched i don't think i had like that like i would be interested in the show but it wouldn't go
2: beyond it's a different like, age though been, isn't it mm, i yeah. didn't care either i didn't care about the world beyond the show
1: yeah. but it is yeah a different that's age, weird isn't, isn't it, it? Like, i'm yeah celebrity I'm, kind of like fascination like
2: i follow Derek griffiths on twitter now yeah but i don't know if i would have cared back then yeah i just loved the show as it was in that moment you know
3: yeah it's a weird one like i I mean, I guess there are some people who I imagine would probably quite like that kind of adoration and that kind of like, they're being recognized. But then I guess when you're talking about like year sevens, it's kind of a little bit different. I
2: can't be near schools. I can't be near schools. (laughs) I can't be near schools at 3.30. Yeah, we should probably talk about... You know, four I o'clock can't be like, there.
3: So it. that was that was massively successful. You're now, you, you've, I think we were saying, we were talking before, you've now passed that on uh, That's to right. your brother.
2: Uh, yeah, my brother is writing all the songs for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the team of writers, of script writers that I was writing with in series one and two are still on it. So there's mm-hmm. a sort of continuous vibe to it, so to speak, and the cast keeps changing, which is fine because it's set in a school. But yeah, uh, for the past... What were we on series seven? Mm. The past two series, my brother's been been writing all the all the songs, and it's it's beautiful to me because the show was about two brothers. Yeah, it starts. It's quite nice that there's still a family connection behind the scenes as well as uh, in the essence of the show. I Um, mean, it really
3: it really is a huge. It's massive, isn't it? It's gigantic. I mean, like
2: it's just been commissioned for an eighth series. And there's not that many scripted series outside of soap operas mm. on British television mm. that have run for that long.
3: And for anyone who hasn't, I'm sure the majority of people who are listening to this will be aware of it through their kids. Like what, what's, what's the vibe? What's, what is it?
2: It's, the initial idea was based on my work before I got into this entertainment world. Um, I was a, a youth worker and I worked in a series of youth clubs. I ended up running my own after school club. And it was based on those experiences because I was always very immature, I still am. And uh, it always just made me laugh that I'd meet kids all the time that were way wilier than me. Mm. And um, the most profound experiences came in the the last club that I ran, which was for kids who were the children of asylum seekers or victims of wars, conflicts in other parts of, of the world. Uh, Some of which are unaccompanied minors, you know, like kids who had no parents who were settling in this one particular area, not far from where I grew up. And I helped develop um, an after school facility for those kids and working with those kids and seeing them grow up. is fascinating because they were immediately more mature than me. They'd been, they'd seen fucking war. They'd seen people killed and shit do you know what I mean and they weren't all damaged like you think oh yeah they're probably really damaged no kids are super resilient and they bounce back so these are kids who came with not a word of English within two weeks they've got like slang do you know what I mean they've got they've got English asides (laughs) like they're on some next level because kids are like that they're like sponges they're amazing the ability so it always just made me laugh that I'd be having like these man-to-mans with like (laughs) seven-year-old Sudanese boys and uh, that's kind of where the idea came from. I wanted to make a show sort of based on that Homer-Bart dynamic where you've got an infantile man and a really sharp-witted child. And it was actually Paul Rose, a really experienced children's writer who'd written on um, like uh, Wolf Blood and Tracy Beaker and shit like that, um, who came up with the idea of making them brothers. My yeah. idea initially was just that, they were a teacher and people who rubbed each other up the wrong way. Yeah. You know, but he came up with the idea of them being brothers and that gave it its heart really. Hmm. And it was a fascinating process because I was involved from the start, obviously, because it was my idea. I pitched it to CBBC. I'd managed the whole thing. I, I, I'd moved up to Manchester to live where uh, CBBC had, had moved to at the time. Right. So I was involved hands on with the casting and initially we were looking for a boy who looked like me and they had to come in and do some script reading with me and also perform a rap we had some funny moments actually there's one there's one fat kid who came in and he was like i want to perform my own rap and i was like oh, amazing great and he was like, hey, yo, I got bitches in the back of the whip <laughs> sucking my dick. And I was like, dude, you're 10 years old. Like, what the hell? Uh, but there was another, There's this other kid walked in and he looked nothing like me. He was dark skinned, glasses, precocious. He was, and he, he he grew up in Peckham, but he lived in Sale now, like, outside of Manchester. And uh, grammar school kid. And he did the dialogue perfectly. He... Had so much character, and then he said, um, I want to do my own rap as well. I was like, Fucking hell, here we go again. But it was amazing, right? Do you know what I mean? And I was like, Oh my days, like it has to be him, even though he looks nothing like me. Yeah, and and to this day, the number one question I get from younger kids is, Is he really your brother? Do you know what I mean? And it's, you know what I mean? It's it's like, it's like me and you being brothers, like no one would have thought it on the street, Yeah, 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 but. Um, something in the beauty and the wonder and the intelligence of his performance meant that he seemed like my brother mm. and I loved him like a brother
1: okay that's at the end of part one we'll be right back with the next part
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
3: You've talked before about how close you are with your sister, Zadie. I, I guess what the, you know, with having two daughters how do they get on with each other do you kind of try and really make sure that they get on do you with the value yeah. of sort of like a good sibling relationship uh,
2: yeah i think the sibling relationship is absolutely key um on so many levels i mean the first thing for me and my sister was our color so like if you uh, are a little kid you might remember um a day in school where s- you you're at the lunch table and you will get your plastic cups and they're all different colors and one of you says, anyone has got a red cup's coming to my birthday, you know, uh, or, or, or some shit like that. You sort of, be bunch together in what is familiar, mm. right? It's nothing to do with racism. It's just familiarity, coziness and warmth. If you're in an all white family or an all black family or an all Indian family or an all Chinese family, every, everybody looks the same. You're on the same team from the start in a mixed race household is slightly different because we had a white father that we didn't look anything like. And we had a black mother that we didn't look anything like. So at a very, very early age as a mixed race kid, you're like, oh, not even who am I? Like, you're like, what am I like? What am I mm. like? Cause you go to other kids' houses and they all look like their parents. And you're like, what? I don't get it. So your sibling becomes immediately important in that area. And then the other thing is, you know, there's only 18 months between me and Zadie, so we grew up kind of like twins. You know, we had the double buggy and shit. So, you know, we were very, very close as youngsters. And then by the time we reached sort of like seven or eight, or she reached seven or eight, I should say, it became quite clear that she had abnormal brain power. <laughs> <laughs> because our reading was at a par and then everything changed yeah so she was reading like judy bloom and then she'd give me the judy blooms and i'd take way longer to get through like super fudge you know <laughs> take the whole summer like reading this book like about a child's summer i'm reading it in fucking real time do you know what I mean? <laughs> and she's just flying through them and then going up and up and up to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And then when she read Little Women in like two days, that's when <laughs> everybody was like, Whoa. Okay, this is weird now. Yeah. <laughs> and then she started trying to write. Wow. Uh, At eight? Yeah. That year she came second in like a national competition. She saw an advert from Smarties saying uh, they'd linked up with this character from Children's TV called Dr. Smarty Pants. Okay. Who was actually. Funnily enough, children's book fans, Michael Rosen, um, it was like a character he played on TV in the 80s. And um, yeah, Dr. Smarty Pants was looking for the smartest writer for the National Smarties Writing Competition. And she wrote a story, you know. And these are the days when that shit was big. Do you know what yeah. I mean? You know, like you hear these terrible things about Blue Peter getting no viewers and stuff. Mm. Back in the day, you have to understand these things were huge panini stickers, send off competitions. Uh, get a fucking spoon from (laughs) Frosty's. This shit was huge because there wasn't that much entertainment. Kids have got too much entertainment now. So she entered the competition and she came second and she was in the national papers and whatnot. And that was it. That's where it started. And from there she just kept winning writing competitions, man. Like when she was like 14 or 15, she won a competition to be the editor of one issue of just 17 She was like a huge magazine. I remember that magazine. Huge magazine. Do you know what I'm saying? She did that, nailed it. Then like first year of university, she was published, already published in like a a book of short stories. She had a short story in there. And then by her graduate year, she'd written one chapter of white teeth and got a deal with Penguin at Random House. End of story. Do you know what I mean? So like she makes was, me feel like that small yeah. she was a she was a prodigy and i knew that from the start and as her intelligence grew and i realized she was like a kind of superhero i think we sort of distanced a little bit but we always had that kind of luke and leia kind of connection did, did you, you feel what I mean? like, like but whatever like, i mean leia yeah. hear me <laughs> I, do you know I mean she knows what i'm thinking and feeling that's like some twin shit do do you like feel or did you feel like an immense amount of like
1: pressure then to kind of live up to that
2: no not at all because we were in a working class household with parents who were not academics and even finished school do you know what I mean there was never any pressure on us to do anything of any you know academic or or global value do you know what I mean it was always just morals just don't be a dick to people Do you know what I mean that was it? And when we showed interest in something, they were, my parents were very encouraging, mm. and uh, all my parenting skills come come from that. Like I, I don't I don't want to force anything on, on my kids. I want them to come to me with a passion, and I'll yeah. go. I'm going to facilitate that as yeah. much as I can. Yeah, and that's that's what our parents did with no connections, no old money, no nothing. Mm. My sister, in fact, at one point became the breadwinner of the entire family mm. at 21. I mean, it's fucking insane. Yeah. So do your daughter, are they, are they pretty close Do you kind of like with you, each other? Yeah. Yeah. Massively. Obviously they fight, you know, hammer and tongs, but when they're out of the house, you just see them. They just fight for each other mm. because it's the wider world. And it's scary, you know, in, in mm. the house, it's like, it's all power struggles yeah, yeah. But outside of the house. It's just like, it's you and me and this fucking crazy thing. And it's a scary world. Yeah, I mean, they're growing up in a time that very much reminds me of when I was their age, where we had a fucking relentlessly evil, racist, classist, Tory government and hardcore terrorism, worse than what we're getting in the UK now. People forget that. I'm not belittling the terrorist attacks in Manchester and all of that. It's fucking horrific. But just... Try and cast your mind back if you're old enough to when I was a little kid in the early '80s. The IRA shit was nuts, man. Yeah, like, man. and I was living in Kilburn where a lot of them were hiding out and shit. You know, you you were scared because it was in the news every day. And you know, my kids—they're terrified of terrorism. Mm. Absolutely terrified. It keeps them up at night. How do you deal with that? Like, what do you? What's your kind of? Because I mean, that's something it's I've really, about. really tough, and it it, it brings me to tears quite regularly because i can't control it i can't control terrorism i can't control the this level of i don't i'm not i don't want to say evil because i hate it when people say evil terrorists are normal people with mental problems Mm. that's what you never hear about you all you hear is like he's evil how did he get radicalized Mm. mate he's a fucking nutcase (laughs) if he thinks it's okay to kill someone for what he believes in Mate, if I thought that was okay, there would be... so. Anytime someone said Tribal Quest, they're, they're not all that. They'd be dead. They would be dead. Do you know what I'm saying? They'd be dead. You have to be mentally ill to kill someone for something that you believe in. Yeah. Like, it's bonkers. Yeah, Yeah. And it's just... It's a hard thing to explain to little kids. Mm. So, you know the monster rhetoric, the evil rhetoric that you get in the press. I guess that's a bit simpler, but I don't like to be simple with my kids. I like to be quite real with them. And um, I give them the harsh reality quite a lot. And to be fair, my wife's on board with that as well. And neither of us had the most straightforward or simplest of upbringings. Um, My wife's way, way tougher than mine, you know? So we're very much like, these are the realities of life but there will always be helpers. There will always be people, good people that you can turn to that will look after you and there will always be love and there will always be happiness in the world and the fear and the the horror, it doesn't last. It doesn't last. It doesn't last. It's always like some temporary shit that someone's trying to throw out there to make a statement Mm. and it's petty yeah. Whereas love and happiness, togetherness—that shit lasts forever.
1: No, I just wanted to ask a question about storytelling and the the role it has for kids, because like you describe yourself as you know being a storyteller—that's mm. kind of one of the main things you do. And obviously, you know, your sister is very mm. much a storyteller, and your brother too. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you see storytelling, like,
2: in terms of childhood? Well, I guess as a precursor to this answer, I should also say I have a half-brother and a half-sister too who are both artists as well. My other sister teaches art uh, and paints herself and my other brother is a musician. So we do sometimes think like, what's the deal? Because none of our parents are artistic. None of our parents are professional storytellers. None of our parents are connected to entertainment or anything like that. So, what's the deal? How did it work? All I can think is that when I look back on my childhood, my parents just pulled out every stop. Every st- like They fucking did not drop the ball at any moment. Even when their marriage was in tatters. Even when there was no money. Even when there was outside stress uh pressures pushing down on them they just did not drop the ball with parenting they were on it at all times i learned so much from them you know and it makes me laugh now when i speak to my friends because i'm the first out of all my friends to have kids and you know my friends are having babies now And it just makes me laugh for the ones that haven't, who are like, yeah. And I'm like, mate, you've been with your girl for ages. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, we're just looking for the... We just want to... I need to get the right job and need to get this house. And, you know, we want to be in this area and we need to be by this school. and Like, (laughs) mate, none of that shit's going to ever fucking happen. If I thought those things, I would never have had children. I just, I wouldn't have even begun. Mm. And I think similarly, even though maybe that world of things of like, I don't know, money pressures and stuff was maybe a little more straightforward than the years before I was born. I think my parents had similar pressures and they just fucking went for it. And they just thought we've got something to give. And what they learned very quickly was, Oh my God, we're up against it. Yeah. Mm. We're poor. We're not just black. We're black and white, which, you know, in america and in south africa at certain times being mixed race was at one notch above in the car system that didn't happen over here in the, in the late 70s early 80s the probably the most hated the most reviled the most like just the the horriblest thing was like a mixed family because it, the racial tensions were so strong you had the rise of the far right, thanks to some politics that are very reminiscent of what we're experiencing right now. But you also had, as a result of that, the rise of the black power movement, yeah. you know? And uh, the back to Africa shit. You know, I think my parents were parenting under intense pressure. Yeah. Plus, don't forget, we were living in Kilburn on a council estate in an area that was largely Irish, that uh, police would run through all the time arresting and beating up innocent Irish dudes because they considered them to be IRA. And all our friends were Irish. So we were experiencing so much of this shit, so much negativity, and I didn't feel any of it. I never felt poor. I never felt discriminated against. I never felt under pressure. I never felt a right-wing influence. I never felt a prejudice- Destructive, austerity laden government. I never felt any of that shit. Mm. I was just bouncing around <laughs> Queen's Park going, Oh, look at that flower. Look at that <laughs> butterfly. And my mum would dig up into the ground until she found clay and we'd fucking put it, mold it, and put it in the oven and make like welly boots and ashtrays. You know what I'm saying? So and they would both read amazing stories to us uh, at, at nighttime and cuddle us and tickle us and sing to us. They were amazing people against all odds. And, and on top of that, you know, my father was born in 1925. He was on the beaches at Normandy in 1944. Uh, he killed men by the time he was 19, renounced violence, gave away all his medals and his uniform in the immediate aftermath of the war, fought for peace, met a black woman 30 years his junior in the early 70s, fell in love with her. She's fresh off the boat from Jamaica. They become the oddest couple ever and then have to force to fight immediate discrimination, yeah. not just from the rest of the world, the rest of the UK, but also from within their both their own families. So, you know, they could have been victims, but they ruled with love. They thought that was the stronger thing. And... When I think of the madness that was around us as little children that I never felt, ever, and then understanding it as we got older, I always think, well, what the fuck else would we have been but artists? Mm. You know? We were always going to be storytellers. Yeah. We were born to take our parents' struggle and move it into a way more middle-class, comfy, cozy zone. Now, our biggest concern for myself and my sister my my younger brother doesn't have kids yet, but my sister's got two kids. Our biggest concern is how do we make our kids not pricks? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because we give them the world, we give them everything, we take them around the world. We you know, we fly from country to country. You know, my only holiday was Cornwall. That was my holiday. Do you know what I'm saying? Cornwall, mm. where you just go from some racism in Kilburn to even more racism in Cornwall. <laughs> Great. My eldest daughter's passport, we were gutted. She had to change it recently, you know, to renew it. Her her old passport's fucking out of this world. She's been everywhere. And, uh, you know, how do you make your kids not spoiled? You you know, because you want to give them everything. Of course you do. I want to give them everything and I want to make them feel safe in the face of darkness in the same way that my parents did. Mm. But I think I've got more resources than my parents had to do that. Mm. Yeah it's pretty deep in
3: terms of you know storytelling that whether it be writing humorous lines for your raps or coming up with a joke where do you start with that where does that does that come from personal experiences or does that do you just think of something quite funny and then like back Yeah, head, I, I back
2: st- work I, it I, I start 100% with the truth and then I work my way from there mm. and then I, I I'll break it down and find the funny within it so Everything changed in my career in stand-up when I chose to do that. Before that, I was always like, what's the funny thing to say? And then I realized, actually, this is bullshit. I don't want to do this every night. I want to talk about the shit that's interesting to me. And then I was thinking, but yeah, but the shit that's interesting to me is not funny. Mm. And I thought, it doesn't have to be not funny. Find the funny within it. And that changed everything. And now I won't even do stand-up if I don't feel like I'm saying something that's important to me. Yeah. People are like do the tea song, do you- Fuck the uh, tea song. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, f- I don't even drink tea. Yeah. yeah. That's 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 the that's the thing that like if, if I could explain behind the curtain of stand-up, I don't even drink tea. Oh, that's shut and that's that shuts yeah, me illusion that. should yeah. let you know exactly what that kind of stand-up is all about. Yeah. It's just like, here's a thing that everybody finds funny or has an opinion on. I'll poo-poo it or I'll have a strong opinion about it. Yeah. That is stand up 101. It's basic and it's bullshit. I'm not saying the tea song's not funny, it is. But who gives a fuck? Like, who cares? <laughs> I don't even drink tea, I drink beer.
3: <laughs> well, I came up with a joke the other day and it's the first time it's ever, I was just sitting there, an advert came on and then I went quiet for about 15 minutes trying to work this joke around. And I've tried it out on some mates and none of them find it funny but I think it's quite genius. And Go. you actually, helped, Seth, you helped out on it, like towards the end of it. Oh yeah. yeah, Break yeah. it down. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, okay. I've got to remember because it's quite, <laughs> it's quite long winded. What's the most confused piece of salad
2: during Brexit? The most confused piece of salad? During Brexit. Okay. The setup's not good. No, I know that's <laughs> the problem. So it's clunky. Can, yeah. But I th- I feel like the punchline's good. mm <laughs> remain leaves. That's good. Yeah. See, that's a good punchline. It yeah. yeah, it's good. But the setup doesn't the setup work setup at all. Well, that's
3: the thing. That's why it took me like 15, 20 minutes to work out. Because I saw an advert for Remain letters and I thought, oh, Remain, that's a bit like, and then Remain, and then I said Remain leaf, and then you came in with it should be Remain leaves. And then we had the joke, but I, c- I haven't worked out. do well, not you, don't you can make
2: like a tree <laughs> yeah. and get out of here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, it's good. You right. just need a comic, a true comic to. to well, this is why well, you're you trying to, to, to say that James got a true comic. No, no. <laughs> just, a true comic wouldn't have had that setup. Right, the setup's yeah, yeah. awful. So what? But the the punchline's t- great. So you'll probably do it a, a lot good set quicker up there. It just you just need to spend some time on it. Yeah, I don't think I can be bothered. Well, in that case, I might steal
3: it. You can definitely have it.
1: Like, Jay, it was, it was actually in kind of behind-the-scenes life of this podcast not that long ago mm. that we recorded the last bit yeah. of the episode. Maybe I shouldn't spoil the illusion, but what has actually been going on since... Do you know what? People say parenting's hard. So
3: far, mm-mm. it's been breezy yeah i think so <laughs> i'm joking obviously but I, yeah like she's sleeping like yeah. like like I know,
2: see i'm getting yeah I can, it just doesn't I'm, last bro no, it's know, like yeah. phases you know you know when uh because i remember these phases in the first year yeah. of my 11 year old but then after about when she was about two and a half she really started to struggle to get to sleep because when they become aware of the world, sure. that's yeah. when it becomes yeah. difficult to get them to bed. Mm. And if they're overly attached to you, it is important. Like, where does your daughter sleep? In our bedroom. There I'm, you go. Yeah. Number one, this is the first horrible situation that you've got. She sleeps perfectly in the knowledge that milk and love and comfort is right there. Yeah. You take that away from her, you're going to have your first major challenge when it comes to sleep. Mm. Right. And uh, as soon as we experienced that, we struggled to get it back again. And and it intensified as she hit two. And then the next time that she properly slept all the way through the night, went to bed at the time we wanted her to go to bed without any emotional strain or grief or terrible trying on our senses Mm. was when she was about eight and a half. Okay. Fucking hell. So you could have... Enjoy it while Eight it lasts. years. Yeah, you could have eight years of hell from now. <sighs> I'm waiting for it to change because like, that's what I had.
3: Yeah. Okay. Right. That's the second one that's though.
2: Small, so, that's sobering. The second one, she just fucking sleeps. Yeah. From 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 the day she was born to now. I mean, she didn't cry when she was born. Right. I mean, okay. I just I couldn't yeah. get. I still can't get my head around that. Yeah. And she just sleeps. Mm. She loves to go to bed and she hates waking up. That's she exactly would, she as, would sleep yeah. in, until 10 if she could. Yeah. But she obviously has to go to school. But yeah, the, eight, <laughs> the eight-year-old has always slept. Yeah, The 11-year-old, even now, even last night, she had trouble sleeping. Mm. But eight was the breakthrough when we were like, this has to... Like, we were going fucking insane. Yeah, We saw sleep specialists and stuff. And it was when we were like, at the end of our tether and, and talking about going to see like doctors... She freaked out and she was like, "Oh, sleep, oh' sleep, or oh, sleep," and she sort of forced herself to, but she still has trouble mm. every now and again, whereas the little one never yeah, never
3: see with Matilda we've got to the stage where like, unfortunately she lost like, in the first four days she lost like thirteen percent of her body weight, which was a big she was deal. sick when she you know what was happening was and it's still the case, we don't think she's in terms of feeding she's not really getting much yeah. from breastfeeding like she's right. doing it all she's like latching fine she's on there for ages but we think she's just like a really lazy eater how big are
2: your wife's boobs yeah, yeah
3: i mean i mean they're bigger now than that you
2: know. that's literally nothing to do yeah, with me i no. <laughs> <laughs> just literally trying to sneak in a- <laughs> um, <sighs> makes no difference guys
1: yeah
3: well that's well i mean she's she's it's tough because like obviously Nat's going a bit crazy because it's sort of, you know, it's not really not really happening in that way. So we're having to use a bit of formula to kind of like top up, which right. isn't really what we want to do, and blah blah. But honestly, she sleeps and we have to wake her up in the middle of the night at like three in the morning. Make sure and, she's and,
2: still alive, like
3: well, just to kind of feed her, really. Yeah. Just to kind of keep her keep her going. I had this situation where I couldn't wake her and she was like, we knew she was alive, so it's fine. <laughs> like she because she was like doing the proper like, you know, when you try and wait someone up and they just don't want to be woken up and they're mm-hmm. just kind of go, fuck off sort of thing yeah. she was doing all of that so i stripped it down changed a nappy i googled it and Dude. it said run ice cubes up and down her back so i did that and i felt so yeah. bad let doing her that. sleep man i did it she sleep. still slept through it i'm telling you man she takes let it after yeah. her let
2: mum let her sleep if a baby all they know is survival yeah. if she needs to eat she will wake up and scream yeah. if she's sleeping let her sleep yeah, we doing sleep get your rest She'll be fine. Yeah, she'll be absolutely fine. Yeah. She'll eat when she has to eat. Yeah.
3: I'm feeling quite smug because loads of people are texting me, being like, "Oh, how's it going? You getting are you, are you sleep deprived?" People yet? always say that shit. That but join like new dads or new mums, and I know they're asking me so that they can laugh about it and be like, hey, "Well, it's going to continue," and I'm there going. No, it's all right. I'm sleeping all the way yeah. through. It's fine. Is but you like, know, sleep
2: is the thing that is talked about most in the early years because it's the thing that affects you most intensely. But really over time, it's an irrelevance. It's all about the emotions of your daughter or, mm. or, or your son. That's the thing that keep, like, people say, oh, it's cool. Now you've got 11-year-old and 8-year-old. You have got 11 year old and 8 year old you have to worry about sleep. I still worry about sleep, not because my kids are going to wake up, but because I'm fucking terrified of everything, mm. I'm anxious. I'm anxious about their well being. I'm, mean, I'm scared of the future. Mm. Before I had children, I give a fuck about climate change. Climate <laughs> change, kiss my ass. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen to some old dudes like long after I'm dead. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now you have to worry about everything. And uh, yeah, I mean. I sleep now like I slept when I had newborns. I sleep very lightly and I wake up or I can't get to sleep. Mm. And that's anxiety. It's the anxiety of being responsible for another person, another human being. You know, most of our friends, I'm sure, like are not responsible for other human beings. Like there's a lot of dudes who like, you know, get, get to a point in a relationship with a chick and they're just like, ah, I'm just sick of like having to worry about like where she is, do you know what I mean? Or what she wants to do. So they they call it off. We don't have that luxury. You can't call it off with children. Yeah, It's 24 seven. The job ends when you die. Mm. That's when it ends, you know, and you pray that it's you that dies and not them. And then you've got the underlying anxiety that, that it's maybe them that dies first. Mm. And these things are deep rooted and you don't want to address them, but they're there they're there, just scratching at the back of your mind, and that's the real reason you can't sleep. The fucking bottles and the formula and the nappies—it's just a—it's just a front for what parenthood becomes. So if there's anyone out there who (laughs) is thinking about having kids, um, that might- Well, this is the thing. You've got to have have both sides because the other side of it, which we've touched on already, is that it makes you, and I'm talking from a man's perspective, it makes you a fucking better man. I did not have this power of words. I did not have this sense of conviction. I did not have the success in my professional life. I did not have the ability to do what I do today before I had children. I was an underpaid youth worker when my first daughter was born. I got on stage for the first time and tried to do stand-up, which has led to all these amazing things that I've managed to do since, and to a, a flourishing and financially stable career. I got on the stage to begin all of that at 30 years old, with a toddler, and a bun in the oven, and no way of knowing how I was going to pay the heating bills. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. It was a different type of pressure. I had to be funny. I had to make it work. It was a huge gamble. But having the children forced me to say to myself, there's only one outcome. It has to work. It has to work. I'm not thinking about the other outcome. Whereas before that, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'd quite like to do this. I'd quite like to do that. But I'd also like to play FIFA for a bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 no, yeah. Completely. So the negatives are profound and they are overpowering at times. But so are the positives. It's a completely even thing like the amount of times I've looked at that front door and just thought I'm fucking moving to Mexico I'm going to <laughs> yeah. Mexico I'm changing my name I'm gonna find one of those better cool soul motherfuckers <laughs> and get a new passport I'm done <laughs> and the amount of times that I thought I couldn't be proud I don't want to be anywhere other than here yeah. watching my kids being amazing I can't wait for the day that I have two grown women coming around my house for Christmas dinner telling me about their lives and the amazing things that they're doing. Mm, yeah. I can't wait for that fucking day. I'm looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah. And I'm getting closer every day. Yeah. My eldest is an unbelievable athlete. She's, uh, she runs for Victoria Park Harriers. She embarrasses boys every weekend. She's cause she's so tall. Her stride is incredible. And her her natural ability as an athlete is unreal. I've never been good at sports, you know. I don't know where the fuck she gets it from, but she's amazing. And she wants to be in the Olympics. And I believe she can do it. And even even if she she doesn't do it, I know she'll be able to put her mind to something else because I've given her the right start and her mom's given her the right start. Mm. And uh, that sense of achievement is fucking great. That's yeah. why I can walk out of an audition and then my agent's like, you didn't get it. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I can step off a stage. You're like, "Oh, that went quite badly. I'm like, yeah, but... Mate, I got paid before I stepped on the stage, <laughs> man. I got some girls at home that love the shit out of me. I don't give a fuck if you didn't find me funny. Yeah. You know? People don't understand the lion's strength that I've got from having children. Yeah. So, you know... That's great, man. The day I come home and my kids are like, you're... <laughs> You're a piece of shit. Yeah, that's when I'm fucked. That's when I got nothing.
3: That's when you go to Mexico. Yeah, that's yeah. when I go
2: to Mexico for <laughs> real.
1: Thank you, everyone. We're going to wrap it up there. Thanks, in particular, to Ben Bailey Smith, obviously Doc Brown, Jamie, um, obviously. You know, your input is always
2: welcome. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate High that. High praise. Join. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of yes. good that you're sort of there, I guess. <laughs> Making up the numbers.
1: Nice. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. Okay. So thanks everyone for listening and uh, tune in again next time. Yeah, and also remember to
3: rate, review, share, subscribe, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at Good Day, Ugly. All that shit. All that shit. All that shit.
1: All that shit. All that shit. All that shit. All that shit. All that shit, all that shit, all that shit.